Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Introspection, Hospitality from the Inside, as well as Grief and Loss to Growth, another iteration of the Trident of Introspection. I'm Amy Lindner Lesser, your host, and I'm here today after a few months' absence of rethinking the podcast, rethinking my business, and helping with the birth of another grandchild. So I thought it was a good time to take a break and start season two now. So I'm very happy to welcome my guest today, Dan DeFrancia, who is the owner and innkeeper at the Willamette Valley Bed and Breakfast, a five-room B&B located in Newburgh, Oregon. Welcome, Dan. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. One second. Congratulations on your, your new grandchild. Thank you. She makes number three. Oh, awesome. It's it's that's been a fun retirement uh, thing. <laughs> I, I can imagine. We just had our first one uh, six months ago. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I think that being a grandparent is one of the favorite parts of my life right now. All right. It's right. it's it's the fun of being a parent without the daily stresses. Sort yes. of like being a consultant and coach to the in community. I get to talk to everybody. I get to experience it vicariously again. And I don't have to worry about staying up late at night for right. arrivals or getting up early for early breakfast or, you know, the phone ringing in the middle of the night that something has gone wrong. Yep, exactly. That's good. So, Dan, let's start out the way I start everybody out. Tell me a little bit about you, your background, and what brought you to basically building, if I remember right, your, your B&B. Yeah, well, um, I'm a Colorado native. I grew up in Denver. I went to Seattle to go to college. And then uh, after college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so... Uh, I got into sales positions. I enjoyed speaking with people and and representing products and companies. So I did that, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So um, I worked for a few different places, and I had gotten transferred from Seattle down to Tucson, Arizona. And in Tucson, um, I made the transitions to hotels. I had gone to school with some friends who were who majored in uh, hospitality, which I didn't know that was a major. And then, uh, so I called them when I'm in Tucson looking for a job and they said, well, you don't need to move. You can stay where you are. It's a great town for that. So I started working at the Westin La Paloma as my first job. I couldn't get into the sales office anywhere. I went to every place in town and said, Hey, and they said, well, you don't have any experience. So I stay in hotels. Doesn't that count? No, that doesn't count. So my best offer was to work at the Weston La Paloma at the front desk, which turned out to be a blessing. And then they said, anytime we get an opening in sales, you'll get an interview. So I took that offer and I jumped on it. Working at the front desk was um, invaluable 
help uh, resource and very helpful because it was command central and it's the 400 and I don't know, 100, 470, 450 rooms. So it was a big resort. So I learned a lot just being in the front desk. And then I, uh, about a year later, I moved up into the, to the sales office and I've been doing that ever since. So I moved from the, the West end of there. I went to Colorado and worked for the West end in Vail. Then I went to Independence and I worked for a little resort in Napa Valley called uh, Meadowood. And then I went back to Seattle. So we kind of went full circle. And then I worked for brands and other hotels in the, in the Seattle area. Came to be a B&B owner because I wanted to do my own thing. I'd worked for a number of owners who most of the time sat in a different city in a different state, made a lot of decisions looking at spreadsheets who didn't have a, in my opinion, didn't have a real feel for what was going on where we were. They're just reading historical information, basically. So I, I'm not afraid to speak up, and I did that many times, sometimes too many times. Um, so the opportunity, uh, we just wanted to work for ourselves and do it, do it our way. And so we found a, um, a nice property in Newburgh and we added on 3,900 square feet of space so that we could have five guest rooms and a lovely dining room and things like that. And the reason we built it is because it gave us a, it was a much easier opportunity to turn around and have all the amenities inside the guest rooms that we would like to have versus trying to convert an old home. Um, it also served another purpose of being able to um, have our space separate from the guest space so that we don't have strangers walking through our house at all hours of the day and night. So, and the guests are very comfortable with that as well. So um, we did, con- we broke construction, broke ground for construction in t- January of 2019 and we finished um, later in the year and, had our first guest in December of 19 and here we are three years later. That's very exciting and certainly a lot of preparation by doing front desk. Um, One of my two daughters did the opposite. She started out at Airbnb as a chambermaid and grew eventually into answering phones and taking reservations and of course serving. And then when she moved out, she started working at a front desk and worked her way up um, to basically assist, well, front office manager and then assistant GM, and then left the field with COVID and pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Understandable. We had many, I have many friends who left the field during COVID. So some, some by choice, some not. Yeah. So let me ask, with all of your experience, and you've seen things from really two full sides, you've seen, well, more than two, the resorts, the regular hotel, and now a B&B, what would you say your definition of hospitality is? Oh, gosh. Um, Very, very simply, um, it's just providing a great experience for the guests that that is a memorable occasion um and and i say that that is that quite simply but behind the scenes it takes a lot more than that it's not so simple to create that um as it is to say that so we we're very hands-on which is what we like to do with our bed and breakfast Um, we make a big four-course breakfast every morning which is usually more food than people can eat 
but I'd rather people left here and, and be full and left food on their plate than to have eaten everything and drive down the block to find something else to, to get, to finish their morning. Um, we check on the rooms. We don't typically service the rooms while they're out, but we'll, I, I always go check on their room while they're gone just to make sure, you know, I'll refill their water bottles and things like that. Even if, even though they don't ask, um, but we greet them. We, we, we just try to make, like I said, make it a, 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 a special occasion, even when they're not here for a special occasion. In your experience, other than the hands-on, or maybe that is the difference, is there a difference between hospitality as it's um, given in a large facility or a more, you know, a brand name, a, one part of a large organization versus a B&B or an inn? You know, I don't think it's tremendously different um, other than in a large property, it takes more people, you know, so that you can have consistency um, uh, amongst the different interactions where here there's less interactions because it's usually myself or my wife or the only two people who work here. But the, the key is that, and like I said, I was in sales for a long time in all those hotels. The key is selling yourself, if you will, because we don't sell a tangible product. You don't get to see it, touch it, feel it, take it home with you. You're selling an experience. And so as a representative of that product, um, you need to build trust and confidence um, uh, with the guest before they make their purchase. And it's the same way here. People walk in. I, I'm, I'm also the concierge. My wife does other things and doesn't care to be that the front person. So I'm also the concierge. So when people walk in the door, they go, oh, you're Dan, because we've had several either calls or emails provide a lot of information. And she goes, she's, they walk in like they know you, like your old friends. And I, well, that's the whole idea. This is what we do. And, and so if they walk, walk in with that feeling, then it's much easier to maintain that feeling while they're here. So, so again, not, not drastically different other than um, uh, it's, 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 it's creating that experience that becomes memorable and, and they, it's more of, you know, sensory oriented, if you will. Um, so that it, the, the, so they don't forget us. I, th I think you brought up another point, which is really integral, which is the relationship that a B&B or an inn owner can establish from the beginning and maintain, which is not possible when you have, you know, 22,000 20,000 employees that right. you can do a lot of training and you can teach people, but it's almost like calling some place like Amazon. You're never going to get the same person twice. Right. Um, whereas you've shared things you've shared from yourself, what you enjoy doing, what your experiences are. And I know you're in wine country. So, you know, this was a great bottle of wine that we had at this um winery versus exactly. don't get that one from there it's yeah. better here <laughs> yeah no that's exactly true and we and we partner with a lot of wineries in the area because that's predominantly what our guests come for is to go wine tasting and i always explain to the wineries that when i make a recommendation to a guest it's important because it that, that recommendation reflects more on me than it does on the winery so if they go and have a bad experience they come back and go well, why would you send me there and um, uh, fortunately, that doesn't happen. But I'm also selective on who I will recommend. And we have a very good partnership. And I recommend them because I know that they're going to have a good experience when they show up. And they're also going to have some nice wine. So it's, it's kind of a, 
um, a double whammy and, and works out well. But yes, that's a, you're exactly right. That's that's what that's how it happens. That was always a difficult decision for me when a guest would say, well, what about, we didn't have wineries, but what about this restaurant? Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to bad mouth exactly. a restaurant because, you know, we, we coexist and yes. we referred back and forth to each other. Um, but if I had had bad experiences, what I would usually say would be something like, it's not my favorite. This is what I prefer, or it's the experience was not what what I was looking for. Tell me more about what you want, and quickly get them into something where I know yeah. they'll be they'd be happy. Yeah, exactly. And typically, when we hear about a poor experience, it's not someplace that we've recommended. It's someplace they went on their own and they came back. And, yeah, we went. It wasn't so great. So, yeah, well, that, you know, unfortunately, that happens. And when it comes to wineries, I just like to say there's no bad wine. There's just some we like better than others. For for like as you said, we don't like to badmouth anyone either. We all coexist, and everyone has their way of doing things, and that's fine. But um, but we when we're sending a guest there, we want to make sure it's the same as what we would what we would do. So I've coined the term "wow service," which I know other people have also used that. To me, it's wonderful, over-the-top, welcoming service. Um, you, you mentioned your four-course breakfast and yeah, yeah. that you've had a lot of opportunities to interact with the guests even prior to their arrival. What else do you do that shows wow? Well, we, do a, we do a couple of things on a regular basis, the, the, and, and it's not on our website and we don't tell guests ahead of time. And, and so there it's kind of, um, kind of the old, um, uh, under promise and over deliver opportunity. But when guests arrive, we pour a glass of sparkling wine and give them a bag of popcorn. And that's how we say hello. And they're all going, Oh, how nice, you know, completely unexpected. Um, and they just, it's a real treat and they really enjoy it. So it's a very nice first touch. And the, 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 when they come in the front door, we see them or we ask their name. If we've talked to them for a second, say, we'll be right back. And here we come walking out with a glass of sparkling wine and popcorn. And they just, and everyone just, it's, it's like, wow, didn't expect this when I walked into a and b The other is when they depart, we also give them um, a ceramic, a homemade ceramic flower. My wife is an artist. And so we have a lot of personal touches that way. And so they have this basket of flowers that they've seen the whole time they're out here in the dining room. And on the day of departure, I walk up to them. I say, you know, we'd like to give you a thank you gift for staying with us. And you get to take one of these home. They go, oh, my gosh, it's so pretty. And I have to remind you, yes, Maureen made these. And these are like, oh, my God, they're gorgeous. So it's the idea is that when they get home, that they'll see it and they'll remember us because they'll have put it in a pot or whatever else. And, and that, that, that um, prompts them to go, oh, yes, that's where I got it from. In between... Um, we make all the bath salt. We put together all the bath salts that are in their room. Um, we have, we make all the soaps that are in their room, things like that. So like I said, a lot of personal touches that we don't brag about or talk about other than when you get here, it's like you get to experience this. And so it's, um, uh, it's, it's always a nice feeling because they're, it's more than what they expected. And so that's, that's kind of how we wow them. And it's all, again, a personal touch thing that, that we've done and created. I, I love those touches and they're really personal. If your wife makes the flowers and you guys yeah. both make the, you know, the bath salts and, and the yeah. soaps. Exactly. Um, it's something that yeah. 
a five room in can do where a 20 room or or larger probably cannot do all of that yeah you'd, you'd have to you'd have to have somebody or, or a local supplier that you could purchase from it would right. just be too much work on a daily basis so yeah the size the size gives us that opportunity to have to inflect a little more of a, a, our, our, our personal flavor if you will um, on a regular basis yeah. it's fun so you've been doing this for three years now mm-hmm. what has been your biggest surprise in in being an innkeeper versus in the hospitality field for somebody else i mean you probably came with more knowledge than most innkeepers right um um, as far as operationally no real big surprises um my wife is not from the hospitality background. And so when we were setting things up, I would say, no, we have to have this. We have to have this. And she goes, no, no, we want, I said, no, trust me, this is what's going to happen. This is how the public acts or responds when they have this opportunity. And so we did a lot of those things and she just smiles every time going, Oh, that was right. Yes, that was right. Um, to me, this, this might sound silly. Um, uh, we are a small five room in, um, and we don't advertise and we don't use any um, online travel agents. Uh, everything is booked direct with us, and that was intentional as well. So to me, the biggest surprise is we keep getting business. <laughs> so, <laughs> so surprise. Yes, and we're delighted, but I never count on it. I never assume that, guess what? They'll just, yeah, I just don't. Um, uh, and so my surprise is that we get some really nice people um, from all over the world, and we have some great conversations, and 99% of them are wonderful guests and it's just been very pleasant and it's, it's worked as if, as we anticipated. So to me, that's the biggest surprise, but operationally um, it, it, there, were, there were no surprises. I think like, as you mentioned, just because having the background that I have, I think we were pretty well prepared to, and knew what we were walking into. So you knew of the highs and the lows. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the only other surprise was right out because we opened right before COVID. And so um, and then we had to shut down three months after we opened. And so it, we just call it our extended soft opening. So um, <laughs> the bigger the bigger surprise was um, and we planned better this year. And so and that would be in the summer of, of last year, 21. We were just busier than ever expected. We filled up. And we ran 90 plus percent occupancy for five or six months in a row. And while that was a good problem to have, um, and especially helpful because we were so far behind in revenues from from the beginning, um, we were physically exhausted at the end of the summer. So this summer we were planned and thought we were a little smarter. We gave ourselves a couple of days off during the week. So about every five to six weeks, we blocked two days off just so that we, and we didn't go anywhere or do anything. We were probably just still catching up, but we didn't have to get up and make breakfast. We didn't have to get dressed, if you will. We didn't have to um, uh, check on arrivals and meet somebody at whatever hour. It was just, a, and that was mental for mentally and physically, that was, a, that was very helpful. Because if you don't do that, I can easily see how people get would get burnt out. It would not, it, that's not hard because you can work seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day if, if you want to. And But if you don't take care of yourself, it's really a challenge to, to do that. So that was probably the um, something we just didn't anticipate. And I, and I think we didn't anticipate it because we got off to such a slow start because of the pandemic. 
um, that we didn't know what to expect. We didn't have a normal yet. Um, and so, like I said, this year we, we planned just a little bit better and, and that was very helpful. And was that enough looking back on it two days every six weeks? Or do you feel that going forward, you might increase the or lessen the frequency? Yeah, no, we might we might add a couple more days in there. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, Um, um, because because on the other hand, we also made a couple of exceptions. While we had them blocked out, someone would call. Well, we want to be there for three nights and not two. So this first one's not available. Then, well, you know, this is why we're coming. And all right, you can come. And we would open it up. And so we didn't always have two full days. We had um, one day off, and then we had one day with one arrival. It's like, okay, well, here we go again. And you know, it was fine. But we also just didn't want to say no to somebody who had a a special reason to be here and things like that. So. Uh, I think next summer we will probably do it a little more frequently. Maybe maybe we'll do it once a month um, throughout the summer, and um, and and try to try to stick to it. <laughs> Boundaries are tough. Yes, because yes. what I have found is that innkeepers in general are people pleasers. Yes. That, you know, when I did um, the innkeeping show last year, I was talking to innkeepers about you know, what gives them joy in innkeeping. And I would say at least 85% of them said making my guests happy. And while I think that's admirable and wonderful, it's not going to keep you happy in the long run if your needs aren't at least on par with the guest needs that we tend to burn out because we're so into providing great service that we forget we're still human beings with our own needs. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And, uh, and, and again, having worked in hotels, we always had a team of people. So, the, you know, things were divided. So you only had to do your, your chores or your part of it. And you knew that once I did that, all right, you can turn it over and they would run with it. But around here, there's no one to turn it over to. It's guess what you're going to do all, all of the chores. So and, yeah, and with five rooms, it's hard to be able to afford to have employees, and it doesn't give the same. You know, you you lose some of the closeness to the guests when yeah. you step back a little. Yep. Um, no, you're exactly right. Because to somebody, whoever comes in to do that, now to them, it's just a job because they don't own it and they didn't build it and it's not their passion. It's, I just needed to do this because I need some income. So they come with a different attitude and I understand that. So um, we'll see when we get to that day, we'll, we'll see how we handle that, that transition. And that was the same reason we, we built five rooms because we felt that was the maximum that we could handle ourselves. And it, and it certainly is. Um but we also looking forward now we can also control that so if we don't want to have five rooms i can block one or two out and we'll run three or four instead if if that needs to be the case so we we have that flexibility because when we have our meetings and we're the owners so we don't have to call somebody or look at a report or you know try to meet them whatever metrics someone created for us um so we, we it's nice to have that luxury um, and, uh, well, we haven't done it yet, but it's nice to know that we could, we have that uh, opportunity if, if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had in, had to handle any of your own personal emergencies while you've been operating? Fortunately, no, fingers crossed. Um, 
we have been we've been very lucky that nothing uh, nothing serious has come up while we're doing it. We've been healthy on top of that. In a couple of days we didn't feel great, but we've been healthy. Um, and people always ask, you know, do you take time off or when you take time off, we have somebody else run it for you. And right now the answer is no, but we know that there are professional insiders who could help us out, but we're saving that for exactly, as you mentioned, for an emergency situation. I'd hate to have to call somebody and say, you know, we can't accommodate you because we have to go to whatever, um, likely they would understand, but I don't want to put somebody out. So we'll, we'll wait and see when, when that, when that day arrives. But so far, like I said, fingers crossed that hasn't happened. And have you done your pre-emergency preparedness so that somebody could come in and take over and and do things the way Dan does things? No. (laughs) (laughs) This is my cautionary tale. (laughs) But it did happen with me. Um, My husband was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. and... um, you know, when he was ill or in the hospital and I had, I was raising two kids at the time um, who were, one was a teenager, the other was a preteen. I needed my, and I was fortunate, I had employees, but I needed to be able to have them pick up and do the stuff so I could run back and forth to Boston and we were two and a half hours away to get him to the hospital for treatments and get back home and deal with kids. So the best thing that I did was I did a procedure manual and, you know, whatever was needed, my employees, or if I needed an insider could open that book and say, Oh, this is how to do a check-in. This is how to run a credit card. This is who to call if the, uh, you know, the hot water heater explodes. You never, you know, you can't predict well enough. I had two hot water heaters die on a holiday weekend. (laughs) Okay. Shower. Well, could you please limit your shower to uh, 35 seconds? (laughs) 20 rooms. (laughs) 19 other rooms that had to shower too. So take it easy. Shower with your partner. There you go. And we did talk about that a lot. Because <laughs> we couldn't yeah. get a replacement until the the whatever the holiday was. I think it was, it was Monday. So it was Tuesday before any new things could come in. Sure. Sure. No, that's great advice. We um and now that we've we have our thing down, if you will, I will uh I think that's great advice. And I will start working on a list so that we can at least get that ball rolling and and uh cemented as we go into the future and just for other listeners one of my biggest things was I was really good at writing down what everybody else had to do I never did the things that only I did yeah like payroll nobody else knew how to do payroll Um, you know doing the batch outs in those days we had to batch out our um a credit card machine yeah it's the end of my career I didn't have to do it it automatically did that themselves but yeah things like that like I forgot that I wasn't irreplaceable yeah and my husband passed away and the recipes that he did went with him yeah a lot of them but a lot he never wrote down 
Yeah. So, you know, to have right. somebody come in and, and be me was a little harder. Yeah, I can easily see that. Even if you have employees who are already doing things. If you have even even my wife and I, we we split our duties in the morning for breakfast. So she bakes scones from scratch every morning and I start on the entree and everything else. And so I don't know how to bake scones. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So, I mean, I can see the issue coming up at the same time. She could probably get her way with doing an entree, but wouldn't have the time to do the entree but the way we divide things up. So um, I can see that it would be helpful, even if just one of us isn't doing well that day in order to be on. I don't even know how to make coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I've never been interested in making coffee. But all of our guests drink it every single day. So, yeah, um, no, that is that is uh, excellent advice. I don't drink <laughs> coffee either. And I learned how to make coffee when we bought the inn. Oh. My husband always made it for himself and yeah. for guests. If we had guests, yeah, know what to do. And, and I still, you know, when companies would come, oh, try our coffee. I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. I don't like coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was, you know, or, you know, I was, I was lucky. I had the luxury of employees. So it was like, okay, you make the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way with wine. I don't drink wine. So Ah. it would be like, you know, I had wonderful guests always wanting to share wine with me or bring me a bottle of wine. And I'm like, I'll I'll take a bottle of seltzer. (laughs) 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 Not a drinker. (laughs) Oh, oh, well. So we talked about that. Okay. What kind of preparation as far as B&Bs did you do before starting yours? Um, I met a lot of B&B owners, um, which was very helpful because same it's not the same as a hotel, even though there's some principles that, that passed down. We were living in, in Seattle or outside Seattle, and we joined the Washington Bed and Breakfast Guild as, a, as an inspiring innkeeper. Um, and we did that for, we were probably, uh, inspiring or aspiring members for three years or more. And so we would go to the annual conference. Um, we were able to meet these people and spend a little time with them. We were able to see their B and B's at different functions. So we saw the layouts, which is how we came up kind of with our idea. Um, so I, I just, very casually um, picked up information and insight from owners who had been doing it primarily had been doing it for a lot of years. Um, I don't recall. uh, There was one couple who started um, just before we moved to Oregon and they, so they were newer at it, um, but everybody else had some really valuable experience to share and they were happy to share and happy to help. Um, And then when we came down to Oregon, uh, Actually, before we even got here, I made calls to other innkeepers in the valley, and I just had questions. And uh, like true people, true um, hospitality people, they would give you their time. And so I asked questions, and yeah, this is what I'm looking to do. And and uh, nine out of ten of them were, were volunteer information and helpful. And when I came down here, then I met them, and um, we are all become good friends. And then we would join the Oregon Bed and Breakfast Guild, and and bed breakfast of Yamhill County for the same reason. So now I, I'm, I get to be one of those people that gets to share information for the, for the newbies. Um, and we've had a couple of those calls and, 
And it's just fun. It's a real treat. But that's how I did most of my homework um, was was talking with current owners. Have you done the typical innkeeper sleeping around, meaning that you go to other inns and B&Bs and, and sleep there? We have, we have not. Um, we, um, through the Bed and Breakfast Guild, we have a, I don't know, what we, uh, I'll be wrong. It's a $50 rate or a $60 rate. And we can do that at any, any of the member inns. We, but we haven't stayed there. We've, we've had their breakfast because I've been there for different meetings or different gatherings. Um, but I haven't spent the night in, in any of them. Um, we have done that elsewhere when we travel, just not within our immediate, immediate group. I, I don't think I ever stayed in another inn in my town, but yeah. I did stay at inns across the country and found that it was one of the best research and marketing tools that I could do yeah. to see what others do, how they handle things, and either to copy them with thanks and you know tell sure. them, I love this idea, I'm going to bring it to my inn, or no, I'm not going to do things this way. It doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. No, you're exactly. So the same way. And that's what we do when we travel. We, we prefer to stay in a bed and breakfast and not in a hotel. And for that, those very reasons. And then you also just meet some wonderful people, um, which is always beneficial. It's, it's always, you, you can never have enough of those people in your, um, to, to refer to. So um, we do exactly that same thing. We also did when we opened, uh, or right prior to our opening, we did several open houses. So we did one um, for our neighbors because they put up with us and to the construction, everything else. And they were very supportive from day one. So we did an open house for our, for the neighborhood. Then we did an open house for the winery industry and we had a good response. We had a lot of people who showed up and then we did an open house for other B and B owners and what I found surprising here, it wouldn't have been, I don't think it would have been the case if we were in Washington, but what I found surprising here is most of the other B&B owners, as you were talking about sleeping around, they hadn't been in the other place, people's properties. And I just kind of, I said, really, I'm just surprised that you all know each other and you refer business to each other, but how can you refer business to someone if you don't know what their place looks like or you've seen it? I mean, I understand you might know them, but that's not the same. So um, so that kind of triggered a thing. We do this thing during the winter called Wine Wednesdays because we get together as a group and we set up appointments at different wineries and it introduces our group to the wineries and it lets them know that we're here and that's how we refer business, et cetera. And so when we started doing Wine Wednesdays, whoever was hosting it would typically then invite you back to their B&B and that's how we got around to see all the others. Um, and I, again, we were just kind of surprised that, that the, the group didn't do that beforehand. So. That's a great idea. I don't think it's it's common for innkeepers to visit other people's inns. I know that when I started, nobody had gone around and seen other inns. And we had a winter you know, a holiday tour, which was open to the public. And the first year that I chaired it, I had everybody get ready on Friday, because it was a quiet weekend for us. No, it was thir we had people get ready for Thursday. So we weren't checking guests in on Thursday. And we all took turns going to different inns yeah. so that we could see what everybody else looked like. And we could see their rooms and we could see their holiday decorations okay. so that we could say, this is, you know, this is what this inn is like. If you want, you know, a modern inn, go stay there. If you want a Victorian inn, stay here 
If yeah. you want something that accepts animals, here's one, you know, whatever. But sure. it was it was well received. And then we continued that on a monthly basis also, just nice. getting together for a glass of whatever. <laughs> yeah, nice. See, that's very common practice in the hotel industry. I have I've not been in any place where we weren't, uh, you know, considered friendly competitors, but we would call, if you started, if you, if you came in as a new salesperson, you would immediately call your competitors in town, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dan. I've just joined the Westin. I'd love to come over and see your place and see what you got. And they would meet you. They would take you on a tour. I mean, they would, they would show you everything just like if you were a guest um, and then oftentimes buy you a meal or buy you a drink or whatever. And the same, and we always reciprocate, but that was very commonplace in the hotel world. It's the smartest thing to do because yes, we're competitors, but we're really not that, you know, obviously for where I was, the winter was very quiet. And so anybody coming to town, everybody would want. However, the reality was with, I think there were 20 something inns when I first started Every inn was different. Every inn reflected the personality and the the tastes and the likes and dislikes of the owners. And so it was easy. We had children. So we accepted children. We were the only inn that would take infants all the way through. And so, you know, other places were, there was an opera house where, the owners, one of them was an opera singer. They showed opera movies every Saturday night. You know, so that was something that we could refer people to. There, Everybody was different. And while, yes, yeah. we competed for the few guests when there were few, in the summer when people were, you know, um, pouring into town and everybody was booked, we were happy to help and send to anybody who could who could use it. Yeah, exactly. We do the same thing. They call them. I get a call and say, do you have available? No, I'm full. And instead of just saying I'm full and hanging up, I say, no, but you have you called such and such? And and the idea is to help them. I When I when I was in hotels, I, I was fortunate to work in places that were more of destination type places um, as opposed to being in the city. I, I did both. But um, the goal in, in where where there was a destination was to get the business to show up at our destination. If I didn't get the business, but you did, that's great. Because now the customer that we've all were entertaining is at least come to our destination. And so we all win because they end up going somewhere else. They don't spend every penny in your hotel. Um, and, and you know, maybe they'll think of us next time when they come back. But the idea exactly. is get, get to the area first. We all win um, because they've been exposed to it and likely will come back. And then if we individually win the business, then, you know, that's just, you know, more icing on the cake. That's that's so true, because hopefully the town has done a good job in attracting them and keeping them and getting them excited to come back. Right. And some people like to stay in the same place every time and others want to try a new place each time. Yeah. So we can be there for that. Well, we are coming to the close of our time. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners any words of wisdom um um well i don't know how many words of wisdom i have but uh (laughs) 
I would like to share, and back to kind of in the beginning, we were talking about being hands-on and, and creating the environment that we do. So we have the, we have our lovely competitors called Airbnb, and we often get noticed, referred to as an Airbnb. Oh, how's your Airbnb? And I always stop and say, we're not an Airbnb. We are a bed and breakfast. So I rarely use the term B&B. I always say bed and breakfast so that people can hear that pronunciation sound different than what they've um, heard from this other acronym. Um, but what I would like to say is it's it's well worth it. We're hands-on. You get to meet people. You get to see and touch and feel what we do here. And it's not just uh, we left a code at the door and we'll never talk to you. We just want your money and we're going to charge you extra for cleaning and everything, other fees and send you on your way. Um, and I think if if guests, will, those that don't stay in a, bean, in a bed and breakfast would take that opportunity and do that, I think they would find it so enjoyable. And not only do you get to meet the innkeepers and have them, you know, assist you with whatever your plans might be, but you get to meet other guests from all around the world as well. We have a communal dining table. We do breakfast at nine o'clock and everyone sits together and it's the conversations are fascinating. And we've had so many people that go, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so and you know, so-and-so or they were old neighbors, or they have a friend, or whatever else. Their kids went to the same college, whatever it might be. It, the, the conversations are fascinating, and it's so. I think that is so much nicer, and it's one we strive to do here is to make that happen. But it's so much nicer than sitting at the table by yourself and talking with whoever you're traveling with, because let's talk to some other people you can talk to whoever you're traveling with the rest of the day. Um, and just and enjoy it. I think that just so much... Uh, that's so much a part of the experience um, on your travels as opposed, as opposed to just finding a bed to sleep in. I agree. The, uh, the conversations, the socialization, feeling like you're part of a larger group, a larger yeah. you know, whole, um, yeah. you don't get that at either an air or a VRBO are yeah. even in a hotel or a motel. Um, exactly. For women traveling alone, I find bed and breakfast uh, represent safety, that somebody knows, they don't care what time you come in, but they know you came in or didn't mm -hmm. come in. Yeah. Um, and you never have to feel alone unless yeah. you want to. Exactly. You can take that opportunity. But yeah, it's it's so nice. And I think especially it's so applicable in this day and age as to what our country is going through these days, that it's nice. It's reassuring, as you said, to just to have this camaraderie of there's someone else I can just share breakfast with. We don't have to agree on whatever else we do in our lives, but you know what? We can have a nice meal and talk about wine because that's mostly what we talk about or, or whatever else we want to talk about. Um, and I, I, I just, I find that just so reassuring and comforting um, for all of our guests and including ourselves. Definitely. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much. Before we end this, can you tell our listeners how they can find you and your inn? Oh, thank you. Um, the easiest way and probably the only way is to, uh, you just Google us. It's Willamette Valley Bed, Bed and Breakfast is the name. And our website is Willamette Valley B and B. So B A N D B. Um, and we're the only ones. We got that catchy name. So we should show up pretty close to the top of the list. And spell Willamette because I call it Willamette. Okay. As, as most people do. So uh, so it's fine. It depends on how our conversation goes. Sometimes I correct people. Sometimes I don't. But it's Willamette. Willamette. Damn it. It rhymes with damn it. So. 
and it's it spe- and it is spelt W I L L A M E T T E Willamette. So, so we're Willamette Valley Bed and Breakfast. We're in Newburgh, Oregon. Or you can always call me because I answer the phone. It's my cell phone. It's my business phone. I answer it all the time. So that's 425-495-1181. And even though that's a Seattle number, uh, I just still kept it and it still works. And, it, and then they go, I do get it every once in a while. Someone go, are you in Washington? Said, no, I'm in Oregon, but this is just my phone. They go, oh, okay. So another little quirk that typically works in our favor. <laughs> Well, that's great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And I look forward at some point to getting out there and staying with you. It's it's been a pleasure spending time with you. And you are welcome here anytime. Thank you very much. And best wishes for happy holidays. Lots of things to be grateful for. And a fabulous 2023. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. This was a bittersweet recording. I love talking to Dan and talking about innkeeping. And this is the beginning of a new and expanded introspection. I have begun to shift focus so that or I shouldn't say shift, I should say expand focus, so that introspection is also a play on the word that looking inward, most of us have experienced some sort of deep loss in our lives, whether it's the loss of a dream, as in your in-keeping dream, is different from the reality and you're not sure if you can maintain the amount of effort that it takes to people (laughs) that setting boundaries is tough, whether it's the loss of a dream job, the loss of a great love, whether through a breakup, a divorce, or death, whether it's the loss of a future. Many women go through infertility and that brings up the loss of a dream, a dream of being able to be a parent, to raise children of what we thought our future was gonna be. And more recently I've been speaking with women who have had children who have gone through gender reassignment, that the children that they brought into the world as either a boy or a girl, their son or their daughter, are now the opposite gender of what they thought they had. And while they may be very happy for that child because the child has found contentment and peace within themselves. There's the loss of a parent's dream and the plans they made, which may or may not have included the child's thinking, but their thinking. So whatever the loss is, 
even just a change in where you're living. Because you've had to say goodbye if you've moved from state to state. You've said goodbye to some relationships, jobs, houses, and have started new ones. So that's where I'm putting more focus on that kind of introspection and helping people move from grief and loss to growth and living. I'm offering one-on-one coaching and I have a Facebook group called Walking Through Loss. And I will be continuing the podcast talking about ways to help move and make the journey through the loss and through grief easier and more joyful. There is joy to be found even while we're grieving. So I hope you will continue to stay with the podcast. It will resurface in the new year, 2023 with some exciting new guests. And I look forward to having you join me on this journey. You can still find me at introspection.com, I-N-N-T-R-O-S-P-E-C-T-I-O-N.com. On Facebook, Amy Lindner Lesser, or my two Facebook pages, introspection, and grief through grief to growth coaching. Thanks a lot. Wishing you all a very happy and grateful Thanksgiving. And I look forward to seeing you in the new year. Bye for now.